We're jumping into a brand new series today. Well, it's not really brand new. It's actually our second iteration of a series we're calling For Better, For Worse. We're looking at the topic of marriage and relationships and God's ideas and God's design for relationships and how we can come out for the better. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some really practical ways that we're going to be able to strengthen marriage. We're going to actually we're gonna talk about singleness and dating. Uh, anybody single in the room? Put your hand up. Put it up high. Look around. See if there's anything you like. If not, put your hand back down. But we're going to try it. We're going we're gonna to cover everybody. There's a wide variety of people and journeys. There's people who are widows or widowers. There's people who are newly married. There's people who are single. There's people who are divorced. There's people who are going through tough times. There's people who are going through great times. What I'm going to ask is that you lean in and ask the Lord to speak to you where you're at. Because here's something I know to be true. God has strength and grace for every single person in every single situation. So don't write yourself off at all throughout the next few weeks. But today, before we get into the real practical stuff, I want to look at some, some conceptual things because we need to be thinking right about marriage before we put it together. And the title of my talk today is Putting It All Together, Building a Better Marriage. Here's, here's something you need to know. This is absolutely unequivocally true. If a marriage is going to be better, it's going to have to be built. If a marriage is going to be better, it's going to have to be put together. My son is going to be nine, and he asked, as he has for the last five years in a row running for his birthday, he asked for another Lego set. I actually have two sons. My oldest son, Aiden, loves Lego, and every Christmas and every birthday, it's all he's asked for. He just loves Lego, and the sets are getting more and more complex and more lavish and big and complicated, and that's great. I'm glad he enjoys it, but what I've learned, I don't know if there's any dads that you've had this situation. When my son asks for Lego, what that really means is I'm going to be building Lego at the kitchen table. Anybody? Yeah, and I, I don't mind spending the time with my son and all, but he usually checks out about halfway through. He's like, Dad, you finish that, I'll be back when you're done. Thank you. Right? He wants the finished product. Now, he has, over the last couple of years, decided, I'm going to do this myself. And like this past Christmas, he dove into all his new Lego sets, and he's, he jumps in there trying to get it going. He's just so excited. Even when he opens it and he sees what's on the box, he's just excited to, to get in there and get that finished product. But the last several times, he, he jumps in, and he doesn't think he needs my help, and he'll get halfway into it, and then I'll find him literally in tears at the table, so frustrated because he's come so far, and he has so little. And there's pieces everywhere, and he just isn't able to put it together, and it's not going together the way he thought it would. And I thought, wow, what a picture of marriage. <laughs> that we, we, we get this idea a picture on a box. There was a day you stood before your spouse at, at an altar and you took your vows. It was the day that you opened the present and you got this beautiful picture of what you thought your marriage was going to be. And in fact, even that night you, got, you went someplace and you opened the box and you inspected all the pieces and played with the stuff inside. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was great. But then over time, what happens, if, if you're like me, the, the, the picture on the box, something happens. It, it doesn't come out as a finished product. Has anybody discovered that in marriage? Some of you are engaged to be married. Let me help you right now. <laughs> it does not come out complete. In fact, you get married and you are given an idea of what this could be and all of the pieces, but it has to be put together. 
We actually have to learn how to assemble our marriage. And the number one mistake in most marriage is the, marriages is a wrongful assumption that this is just going to come together perfectly. But at, in fact, the, the coming together is, is more difficult than we think it is. And in fact, it takes more effort and intentionality and assembly. It actually takes being put together. Great marriages aren't bought, they're built. Great marriages aren't acquired, they're assembled. If your marriage is going to be for the better, it has to be built. You can tweet that. That's going to help you. So today I want to do something. I want to just give you a few handles as we think about this as a picture. Now, if you're new to King's Church, uh, I don't always preach from a Lego box. In fact, if I did that for too many weeks, I would tell you to go find another church because we really want to preach from the Bible. And we're going to get to the Bible in a minute. But I thought this is kind of a helpful picture as I was thinking about how my son goes about building Lego. It's, it's not unsimilar to how a lot of us go about building our marriages. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I have a few ideas to help us kind of get set to put together our marriage for the better. First idea is this. Number one, we need to be sure to read the instructions. We need to read the instructions. We need to know the fine print. We need to know the terms and conditions. I have more times than once now walked in to my son's frustration. There are pieces everywhere, and he jumped in, and he tried to put together his Lego set only to come so far to where he realized I missed a critical step. And since that point, it has been going together the wrong way. And it's not so different in our marriages that there is information that if we don't have, there's knowledge that if we don't have, if we aren't thinking about our marriage relationship in the right way, we are setting ourselves up for frustration and failure. My, my son, over and over, I've seen it. He's missed a step, and he ends up just throwing his hands up in surrender and submission, saying, this is just not working, and it's not going together. It's so important that we read the instructions and that we understand what God intended for marriage in the first place so we don't miss something critical. How many of you are like me? We, we, we live in a day and age now where we don't generally look at the fine print, do we? Like, you are all liars because... You're like me, and you signed up for Netflix, and this giant legal thing came up, and it says, read the terms and conditions, and you didn't read them, did you? You scrolled to the bottom, and then you clicked the little box and said, I have read the terms and conditions. Don't worry, I do it too. We're all liars. Thank you, Jesus, for grace that covers me. It's not by works, but by the grace that I am saved. Amen? Amen. So... We we don't tend to read the terms and conditions. In fact, I read an interesting article this week. There was a woman in in, uh, Georgia that won a contest. She won $10,000 this past week because her insurance company that she has her insurance insurance policy with had a, uh, a contest called It Pays to Read. And in it, they hid in the fine print that if anybody actually read this far, you have to let us know this, this secret password and you actually get to win $10,000. And it's on the news. She won $10,000 for reading the fine print. But it's, it's interesting. They knew, that company knew, we're generally not people who read the fine print. We, we are known for maybe missing the details. And I think there's a critical detail when it comes to marriage that often gets us tripped up. And it's how we think about our marriage in the first place. We have the wrong idea about what this is. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Let me write this down because this is 
one of the primary ways that we get messed up in our marriage relationships. Most of us operate as though our marriage is a contract, that it's mutually agreed upon terms that I move in with you and we, we decide that we're going to move in together and you're going to hold up your end of the bargain. I, I made these myself. Someone just laughed. I use, I'm good with words, okay? Not that, come on. I'm feeling all, feeling all exposed up here. His leg's not even straight. You see that? He's got this like growth on his leg. But most of us listen, most of us think of our marriages as, as a contract that, that we're going to cohabitate, we're going to live together. And even those of us who are married and we're people of faith, i got to be honest, more times than not, I think about my wife through the lens of the contract that she's going to need to, for me to be happy, she's going to need to hold up her end of the bargain. That's what contracts are. It's this idea about, about like mutual understanding. That's what a contract is. That's how most of us think about our marriages. And most of the frustration frustration, most of the arguments, most of the fights, most of the, the pain even in marriage, the disappointment comes when one party of the contract failed to live up to their end of the bargain or their idea about the end of the bargain. Is that not really in very simple terms how it goes for a lot of us in marriage? Hey, you didn't do what you're supposed to do. Uh, now I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do. Or you did that. You bought that thing, so I'm going to buy this thing. Anyone? Yeah, okay, we're going to get real personal today. Just a heads up. I'm going to get I'm going to walk right into all y'all's house and I'm going to open the fridge and see what you've been eating. We're going to we're going to we're going to hit everybody. But most of us think about our marriages in terms of contract, and this is what gets us in a lot of trouble because God never designed marriage to be a contract. Marriage is not two people coming together in a living arrangement. And, and you know what? These living arrangements can be great. You can both agree on a lot of things. It can be a great contract. But here's the deal. God never designed marriage to be a contract. God calls marriage a covenant. And a covenant is much deeper, much richer, much more powerful, much more eternal and all-encompassing than a contract is. In God's mind, a covenant is actually the merging of flesh. It's actually the union of two things becoming one thing. That is what a covenant is. It's, it's this merging. Jesus actually taught on this. The Bible tells us that some Pharisees came to Jesus and they questioned him about divorce. Now, you've got to understand in Jesus' day, divorce was very common as it is today. But in Jesus' day, divorce was not a mutual agreement. It, the, the power fully rested upon the men in Jesus' culture. And women were essentially property. And if a man decided, I'm tired of this one, he would find any and every reason and find legal grounds to divorce her. If she failed to do something, if she failed to, to clean like he wanted her to clean, if she failed to provide uh, what he wanted her to provide, then he could come up with a reason to to get rid of her. And this is a real problem in Jesus' day. In fact, there were a lot of women who, who were homeless because they, they basically lost their inheritance because a man decided, I'm done with you, I'm moving on. So Jesus is approached by these Pharisees, it says in Matthew chapter 19, and we get a picture into how God thinks about marriage. And it's much, much deeper than just something as simple as a contract, that if you fail to live up to your end of the bargain, you're out. Watch how Jesus speaks about this. Matthew 19. Told you we get to the Bible. Everyone just breathe a big sigh of relief. It says, some Pharisees came and they tried to trap Jesus with this question. Should a man, now the reason they're trying to trap him is because 
Moses actually teach that there were a bunch of different grounds for divorce. And Jesus later talks about when divorce is unfortunately uh, necessary. But they're coming to Jesus trying to trap him based on is he going to either defy God's word and defy what Moses said, or is he going to defy what he's been saying about this idea of grace and forgiveness? And so they're trying to trap him. Now it says this. They asked him this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Here's Jesus' answer. He said, haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is, say that word, joined. Joined. It's actually deeper than just you know, uh, agreed. It's deeper than contract terms. This is actually a fusion of persons. You're joined together. You are now one person. You are joined. He's joined to his wife, and the two are united into, say it. Yeah, you become one. One flesh, the old translations say. Since they are no longer two, but one, he says, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So he gives this this picture into how God views marriage. That marriage is more than cohabitation. Marriage is more than a legal contract. Marriage is more than even a great agreement where we get along good and we have this whole life and it's working really good and we have this marital economy and this relational economy. Jesus is saying in the eyes of God, marriage is actually where two people quite literally become one person. So you are, it's no longer me and you, it's just us. It's we, and we are one. And this is why he said, let no one tear apart what God has brought together. He's saying that, there, that because you are now one, one flesh, it's not so simple as just saying, hey, uh, this isn't working, uh, you drive me crazy, and there's been years of this, and so I'm out. He's saying it's not that easy. It's more like you have been supernatural super glued together. And that if I were to super glue these two pieces of paper together and I tried to peel them apart, what would happen? Little pieces of pink would start breaking off and they would go with the blue guy. And pieces of the blue guy would go with the pink girl, would it not? It's the same in divorce. And those of you who have been through divorce, you can actually testify to this. It's not as simple as dividing things neat and tidy down the middle. This is why divorce is so destructive. It's because you are one person. And when you tear that apart, you're taking parts of her and she's taking parts of you and they will never come off you. This is how God views marriage. This is why marriage is so weighty and so sacred. It's because when you take a vow before God, you are entering not into a contract. You are entering into a covenant. You have become one flesh, one person that, that is no longer just you and me. It's we. Your spouse is not something you have. Your spouse is someone you are. I just said something there. Your spouse is not something you have. Your spouse is someone you are. This is what Paul was talking about when he was teaching on marriage. You remember this? It's some of your favorite scripture in the whole Bible. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. That's a good one. I love that. In fact, I think we should just wrap up right there. And we'll meditate on that. And we'll come back next week. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And then he says, in the same way, 
Husbands, love your wives, how? As Christ loved the church, which is what? Ultimate surrender and submission. So he's saying a marriage union is the merging, it is the ultimate surrender into one another. That's what marriage actually is. It's, it's, I'm not above you and you're not above me. We are one. This is why Paul, if you keep reading, you should check it out when you go home. He, he, he says, he says, look, look, he who loves his wife loves himself. Why? Because she is me. And if she's happy, I'm happy. Y'all know that's not just in the Bible. That's just a fact. <laughs> if mama's happy, everybody's happy. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. But quite seriously, Jesus is saying that the scripture is telling us that if, if she wins, I win. If he wins, I win. If he hurts, I hurt. If he loses, I lose. If he's upset, I'm upset. If he's hurting, I'm hurting. That's, that's the true picture of marriage. That it is actually incorrect for us to look at when he comes home from work and says, I'm having a horrible time and it's, it's, going, it's, going, it's going rough. It's incorrect for you to look at and say, oh, that's, that's tough. That's too bad. Hope that works out for you because I'm counting on you. That's what a contract is. A covenant is we're hurting. We're going through this. It's very different. You see, a contract is based on mutual distrust, isn't it? That's what a contract is. It's to hedge. It's to put up the minimum requirements. So it, it, it's based on mutual distrust so that you can limit your responsibility and leverage your rights. That's what a contract does. It tells you how far you have to go, right? I get into a contract. Here's I'll pay my rent. I have to do this and this. Here's my minimum responsibility. And here is what I'm entitled to. That's what a contract does. It limits responsibility and leverages your rights. That's contract talk. Covenant is not based on mutual distrust. Covenant is based on mutual commitment. That there's no end to how far I'll go because she is me and, I, and, and, and he is you. It's based on mutual commitment. We are committed to us. It's very different. Let, let's just be real honest. I know, I know like so many of you, you, this isn't the first time you've heard this. You've been in church and you've been around, but I look at my marriage and so often I look at my wife, not through this, but through this. And I find myself frustrated if things don't go the way that I thought they were supposed to go, but that's contract thinking. And the reason so many of our marriages fail to be put together the right way is because we aren't reading the instructions. We don't have the right mindset to begin with. You are thinking it's a contract when really it's a covenant. You're thinking she's her and you're you, but you're actually we. We have to understand that marriage is commitment to a covenant, not compliance to a contract. It's commitment to a covenant, not compliance to a contract. And I know there's all kinds of things in there that, that make, it, make it feel like risky and, well, what if she doesn't? It, it's, about, it's actually about dying to yourself and becoming that other person. So that's number one. Number two, are you with me? Are you awake? Are you tracking? Number two is this. It's not just that we have to read the instructions, but at a certain point, uh, assembly is required. That, that truly, it, you... You get a lot of pieces, and some pieces are great, and some pieces are a little more complex. And you get these pieces, and slowly but surely, day by day, bit by bit, piece by piece, 
you have to start assembling a great marriage. That's how marriage works. It's, it, it requires assembly. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number two, assembly is required and maintenance is necessary. This thing is not just going to build itself and it is not going to maintain itself. It is going to require your constant care and development. Great marriages don't just happen. Can I get an amen? Some people who here who have great marriages, you know it's taken work. Some people who have failed marriages, you know that happened pretty easy, actually. We don't drift towards alignment, generally. We don't live... Now, why, why do I need to talk about this? Because we don't actually live in a culture that values improvement. We actually live in a world of replacement, don't we? Like if something isn't great, if something isn't like we want it to be, we don't think, how can I make it better? We think, how can I get a better one, right? Like if, if your phone is, is, not, is lagging and, it's, and there's a new phone and a better phone out there, we don't think, well, how can I get the most out of this phone? We think, I'm going to get a new phone, right? Or with a car, we, we think, I'm going to get a new car. I have a dent right now on the side of my, uh, my SUV, and it's, my SUV is perfectly fine. Not too many kilometers. I think it's like six years old. It works great. It's, it's a perfectly working vehicle. But there's this big dent. And instead of me going to the body shop and getting the dent fixed, it's everything I can do to not drive it down to a used car lot and say, what will you give me for it? <laughs> Why? Because we live in a replaced... I feel judgment right now. <laughs> we live in a replacement culture, don't we? If something's not great, we replace it. We don't, we don't improve it. Uh, it, th this was on full display for me, and, and it, it's, it's okay with commodities. Honestly, like, you can only make an iPhone so much better until they have made it better. Like, some of you are, like, huge nerds, and you know how to open it up and put, like, new RAM and stuff and all that stuff in it. But, like, most of us, <laughs> most of us can't do that, so we have to just upgrade because it's a commodity. But here's the problem. Your marriage is not a commodity. It's an organism. And it's alive, and, it, and it's more complicated than just getting a new one. I learned this this past summer. Uh, my wife and I, we moved into a new home, and uh, we're so happy and excited, and we just feel such a blessing from God. We're, we're, we moved into our home where we hope to spend our kids' teen years and get them out of the house and, and all that empty nest stuff that some of you are living, living in right now. That's the plan with this place. And uh, one of the things about this new house that really attracted me to it wasn't just that the house met all of our, you know, specifications and things we wanted. The lawn, y'all, the lawn is so nice. Like a super nice lawn. I've never had a nice lawn before. Uh, my lawn at my old house had like mud patches and dandelions and weeds and moss and just stuff. It was awful. And this new lawn, I'm telling you, Pastor Adam can vouch for me. He helped me unload some stuff one day, and he just stops and starts looking at my lawn. He goes, bro, I got lawn envy. I just want to lay down in it and roll around. It's so lush and thick and green. You can, some of you look at me like, that guy's weird, and some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, I, I mow the lawn and get these nice, neat lines, like, oh, right? And so I move in in the end of June. And the lawn, I mean, in June, it is green, it is lush, it is thick. Then July happens. Remember last summer, it was really hot. And then coming to August, I start to notice something. My lawn is looking an awful lot like my old lawn. There's patches of dead grass and a mud spot growing, and there's weeds popping up. And it occurred to me, I need another new lawn. No. See, with living things, the problem is not the lawn. The problem is the person caring for it. 
And when the grass is greener on my neighbor's lawn, the answer is not for me to have my neighbor's lawn. The answer is for me to water my own. Oh, y'all know where I'm going with this. <laughs> See, a lot of us in our marriage and relationships, we think that if I just get a new lawn, it's going to be great because the grass is green. I saw some green grass walking through my workplace this week. And I'll tell you what, that's a lot better lawn than the, the lawn that's at home. And we get thinking that way, but here's the deal. And I read, I read the survey. Hundreds of you did the survey. And some of you have been married four, five, six times. I'll say this in love. Maybe the problem is not the lawn. Maybe the problem is in the lawn caretaker. Maybe you take the same dysfunction from, from house to house, home to home, relationship to relationship, and maybe the weeds just happen because you don't know how to, how to care for your lawn. See, we live in this replacement culture, but marriage is not about replacement. Marriage is about investment. Marriage is about improvement. And we've got to understand that if we're going to have great marriages, we're going to actually have to water the lawn. The Bible talks about this. The Bible says in Galatians 6, let's read it. Galatians 6 tells us that if you want to, to see great things grow in your marriage, in your life, you have to learn how to sow. Look what, look what Paul says, Galatians 6. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit. What's sowing? Sowing is this, this illustration of seed. It's sowing seed is what he's talking about here. Whoever sows to reap from the, the spirit, sows from the spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not grow weary in doing good for at the proper time. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. See, great marriages... People understand that if my marriage is going to grow, I'm going to have to sow. If my marriage is going to grow, I'm going to have to sow. So we got to understand that marriage is about, if, if we want to see, see things grow, I'm going to have to sow. Uh, you grow when you sow. Uh, if you don't sow, if you don't invest in your marriage, if you don't, if you don't make deposits in your relationship, it's not going to be fruitful. That you will reap a harvest after you sow. None of you are going to your home this spring and expecting a garden to grow, are you? The, the people who have gardens are people who actually plant them. People who have great marriages have planted them. You grow when you sow. Here, here's another. This is, this is going to blow your mind. This is complicated stuff, but I'm helping you, right? No, it's not. I'm gonna be, you're going to be a full-on botanist when you leave today. You grow not just when you sow. You grow where you sow. I know this is super complicated, but stay with me. If I plant a tree over here, bear with me. This, I know we're standing on wood. But if I planted a tree right here, we know it's going to grow where? Right here. It's not going to grow over there. If I put bushes, if I plant seeds in my backyard, it's not going to grow in my front yard. You grow not just when you sow, but you grow where you sow. And here is such a huge challenge for marriage. And I will say, my wife and I fall prey to this just as much as everybody else. How, how often do you invest in your marriage? Isn't your marriage oftentimes the last thing that you invest in? I'm going to, my kids, I got to make sure my kids are fruitful. I got to make sure my job is fruitful. We invest, some of us invest in our hobbies some of us invest in other relationships, and our, our marriage actually gets the leftovers. We actually think about our marriage as, well, they're just going to be there, and we'll, have to, we'll work on the marriage when we can. But then we wonder why it's not fruitful and not working, because you grow where you sow. Listen, some of you guys have amazing golf game and terrible marriages. 
I love you enough to say that. Because, yeah, you're good at golf because you put the time in, but your marriage isn't good because you don't put the time in. Some of you ladies, let me, pick on, let me pick on some gals. Some of you ladies have amazing relationships with your girlfriends, but you say, I don't know my husband because you don't put the time in. You grow not just when you sow, but you grow where you sow, that you actually have to invest. Some of, you, some of your kids are like the star of the basketball team. I don't know how some of you parents do it for real, like basketball, hockey, dance, ballet. You got them in French. I think they're taking Mandarin too. Like you've got them in everything. And then you have zero time for each other. And your marriage is your most important relationship. And I'm not saying like sleep on your kids and like say, you know what, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this though, you not, you not just grow when you sow, but you grow where you sow. We have to actually invest in our marriages. And then third thought about growing and sowing, you grow what you sow. This is a principle of reproduction. People generally give birth to people, correct? Dogs generally give birth to dogs. If I plant a tomato plant, I should not expect a banana tree, correct? What you sow is what you grow. So in a marriage relationship, Jesus actually said this in, in human relationships. He said, judge not lest ye be judged. If you plant judgment, what happens? Judgment comes back on you. So in your marriage relationship, what you sow is what you grow. If you want more joy, if you want more understanding in your relationship, if you want her to be more understanding, guys, the answer is not to rag on her and say, you need to be more understanding. It's for you to constantly invest understanding in her. If you don't like what you're getting, I would ask you, look at what you're giving. If you don't like what you're getting from your spouse, the question isn't what's wrong with them. The question is, what are you giving? What you sow is what you grow. Is this too hard? Is this too hard for a Sunday morning? Are we, we with me? Look, we're not, I didn't come here to fluff you up. I didn't come here to make you, make you feel great. Or like we're going to pray and we're, God will do that. I want to give you just some handles to understand. Listen, I love you enough to tell you that if you don't view your marriage as a garden to be cultivated, it is, it is not going to put itself together. You grow what you sow. Great marriages are built and assembled. I know I can, feel, I can feel for some of you, and I even had a conversation with a guy a couple weeks ago who, whose marriage is on the rocks, and he's just saying, look, I don't know if I want, I don't feel like, I don't feel like fixing it. I don't feel, I don't, I don't have it in me. I just I don't feel like fixing it. I, I would press back. If some of you are here and you're like, wow, what you're talking about here sounds like a whole lot of work. Yeah. But I would say this, what in the world that matters, what in the whole world that's of any value comes easy? Nothing. Nothing valuable is cheap. Nothing valuable comes easily. The greatest things that we get to experience in life take the most work and they cost us the most. And I would say this, where else in the world on anything important do you have the luxury to go with how you feel? You just don't. You can't do that to your kids. You can't do that to your employer. And before God, you can't do that to your spouse. We grow what we sow, we grow when we sow, we grow where we sow. Our last, last thought as we get thinking about, so read the instructions. This is a covenant, not a contract. Uh, assembly required, maintenance necessary. You need to, some of you need to start watering your own lawn. Stop envying my lawn. I got a great lawn right now, just saying. Well, it's not as nice as it was when I moved in, but I'm going to work it, I'm going to work it this summer. Number three, here's the last thought, last idea. Battery not included. 
battery is not included. Uh, marriages, as we believe as Christians, marriages are ultimately empowered, empowered by Jesus. That God actually, when he created marriage, if we had time, we'd look at it today. Genesis chapter 2, Genesis 3, you see the first marriage on display. And God did not create marriage haphazardly or in a vacuum unto itself. He actually created marriage in relationship to him. That Adam in his fulfillment in God and Eve in her fulfillment were brought together as complements to one another. That as, the, as they came together and God fulfilled, it worked. God is the power that makes a marriage work. The presence of God is the power that actually fulfills a marriage. And most of our marriages break down because we are looking to the other person to satisfy and fulfill something that only God can satisfy in us. It's interesting, oftentimes we, we, we say this, how opposites attract. How many of you today, maybe you're watching online, I guess I can't see you, raise your hand, but by a show of hands here, how many of you just say, I married someone who is very different than me? Just show of hands. Okay, everybody, right, everybody. Opposites attract, like, like, like uh, you know, you guys, you saw her and you just thought, oh my goodness, she's so, she just shines and glows. She's just so positive. She's, she, you know, like she's optimistic, she's carefree, she's fun, she's spontaneous, she just wants to do stuff. I just feel alive when I'm around her. And then, you know, she saw him, and he's like, oh, he's so handsome, he's got a full head of hair. <laughs> and, you know, he's so responsible, He's got a career, he's in control, he's cautious, he's calculated, he knows what he's doing. And at first, you know, like the, those things, she was just so positive. He thought, you know, that's just so, 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 so attractive. And she's, you know, he's just, he's just so grounded and he's so together. And I just love that about him. And that, that attracted you at first. But then what happened, I don't know if you found this when you got married, but the things that attracted you were the very things that started to drive you crazy about them. Like, she bought another freaking purse. <laughs> this girl is out of control. She has no care for our financial situation. She just throws money around. She's so carefree. She could care less. She is crazy. And she just thinks everything's going to work out fine. It's a good thing somebody around here is responsible. Right? And then she starts seeing him. She's like, this guy needs to get a life. He needs to freaking relax once in a while. Take a deep breath, bro. It's going to be all right. All he does is go to work, then he comes home and crashes on the couch and plays video games to, to just unwind. Hell hath no scorn like a woman seeing a man just sitting on a couch. <laughs> Am I right? I, true story. My wife's not here in this service. There's been times where I've been sitting idle in my home when she got home, and I literally got up and started to make it look like I was doing something. <laughs> We'll keep, that, we'll keep that between us. And those things that, those things that we loved about one another, like it's almost like when we get into the marriage that they start to, they start to actually drive tension. And, and here's the thing. It's because 
our, our, our polarities were designed to attract us to one another and in fact complement one another. But they aren't the power, they're the circuitry. The battery was meant to be the very presence of God. And the problem in our marriages is that she looks to him, that thing that, where he was so capable and so responsible, it made her feel peace. It made her feel like everything was going to be okay. But in fact, once she got in, into the relationship and realized this guy does not have control of everything, and she starts to feel insecure again, and so she heaps the weight of her security on him. But here's the thing. There is nothing he could ever do to make her feel secure enough. And at every iteration, the bigger house, the bigger job, the bigger paycheck, every kid, more cars, more, 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 and it still does not satisfy her need for security. She doesn't have peace, and she keeps looking to him to get it. That's because he does not have the power of peace in him. He does. And he looks to her for validation. And he, she made him feel so good at first. You know, she made me feel strong, made me feel capable, made me feel like I could take the world. But then now it seems like no matter how much I work and no matter how, how, how far I climb and no matter how much I accomplish, it's never enough for her. I never feel like she cares. And all I want to hear is good job. All I want to hear is you're my favorite. All I want to hear is you're so awesome. And, but he's heaping the weight of responsibility for his validation on her. And it doesn't matter how much she says, I love you, how much she says, you're great, it's never going to be enough because she was not designed to be the power that fulfills him. Your polarities are the circuitry that when you place Christ at the center of your relationship, power infuses and this circuit system happens and God actually starts to fulfill through you and through her this, this life and energy that can only come when he is present. Look, some of you, and some of you are watching this right now, maybe you don't, you're not even believers. Some of you can have decent marriages without, without God. But I don't believe that the true fulfillment that God designed and put in marriage, I don't believe that the true potential of marriage can ever be unlocked until we make Jesus the grounding, the foundation of our relationship, that we both decide, you know what, we are going to, as for me and my house, as for us and our relationship, we are going to serve the Lord. He gets the first and bottom, he gets his bottom line, we're his. I don't believe you'll ever experience the full measure of what God wants your relationship to be without him. He is the ground and he is the focus. He is what we are both looking toward. You know what brings two things close together? If you are looking at the same thing heading in the same direction. You want to get closer to, to your two? You want to get closer to your spouse? Pursue Jesus. And as you do that together, you will draw closer and closer together. This was God's design for marriage. The battery was not included. We actually have to learn how to seek God together. This is what Jesus is talking about, Matthew 6. He says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all this will be added to, unto you. That when you seek the one as two, you're drawn together. When you seek Jesus as individuals, you are actually brought together as a couple. Seek first the kingdom of God and all this will be added to you. You know, my, my, I've found this to be true. That when I invite God into my relationship, and Melanie and I did that before we were married, and, and that was, we built our marriage on that. We have not been perfect. We have not done it perfectly. We have so much to grow in. 
But I will say this, I have seen the power and the presence of God, not just present in our relationship, but fighting for us. When you make space for the kingdom in your marriage, God actually will inhabit that. This is what he was talking about. Uh, it says in, in uh, Chronicles, it tells us that the spirit of God searches the earth, looking for those whose hearts are turned towards him so that he may bring them strength. Think about that promise for you as a marriage. Somebody say, I have, weak, I have a weak marriage right now. The answer is, for, is not for you to prop them up. The answer is for you to pursue Jesus. And as you do that, he actually brings supernatural strength into your relationship. That's what he'll do. What a promise. You can actually get the power of God working on your behalf and your relationship. So we need to learn how to pursue the one together. We need to learn how to put the time in. How to pray together. I read a stat this week that 8% of Christian marriages pray consistently. 8%. And that here, that's, that's, that's not good. But of that 8%, here's a cool stat. Of that 8%, less than 1% end in divorce. Is that telling us something? Like if we make Jesus, we invite Jesus into our marriage relationship, that invites the power and the strength and the stability of the kingdom that cannot be shaken. So we have to understand that we need to, we need to, we need, the battery is not included. We have to pursue Jesus in our relationships. All right, last, last thought. And I'm going to invite you to stand for this. I want to pray for us as we, as we wrap up today. Melanie's going to come and join me. We want to pray for your marriages. We'll pray together. And let's just ask God to do what only he can do. So let's just pray. Maybe you're single. Uh, open your hands. If you're married, take your spouse by the hand. Put your arm around them. Hug them. Don't get too close. It's not make everyone else uncomfortable. But, <laughs> but let's, just, uh, let's just lock in and let's ask God to do a work over these coming weeks. So Father, we have heard your word and we heard your promise where you said if we come to you, you will hear from heaven and you will bring healing to broken, dysfunctional things. And so, Lord, every marriage that's represented here right now, we realize that there's not one perfect marriage in this room or in West St. John or in Halifax right now. There's not one perfect marriage. And there is room right now for you to bring your power and your presence and your fulfillment into it. And so, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we speak to the dry bones and to the broken, scattered bones of so many marriages, and we call them to life. We prophesy the healing of King Jesus. Lord, as we turn our ears and our hearts and our minds to you, Lord, we just prophesy hope right now, Lord, to the marriage that's hanging on by a thread or might, they might have even thought it was done, but Lord, we just say that nothing's too late, nothing is finished. Lord, you're the thing that, you're the one that calls dead things to life. And so for every dead marriage right now in the name of Jesus, we just command life. Lord, for every dysfunction, Lord, we just command function. Lord, for all of our selfishness, would you root it out? Lord, just train us, just take us out of that kind of selfish contract thinking. Lord, over these coming weeks, will we start to see that it's much more profound than just some mutual agreement, but we are actually one flesh. And so, Father, would you help us understand that, to feel one another, to feel that when they win, I win. When they lose, I lose. Would you help us realize that we're already knitted together? Lord, for the ones who have already gone through separation and divorce, we just command healing in Jesus' name. We say from this day forward, 
you are a new creation, that you aren't labeled as divorced, you aren't used goods, you aren't broken, that God has made you new in Jesus' name and your best days are yet to come. But Lord, for every marriage that, that might be teetering on the edge, Lord, we just bring life, Lord. We, we turn it towards you. And God, with open hands, we cry out and we say, Lord, we can't fix this. We don't know what we're doing. Like my son with a broken, messed up Lego, Lord, we just, we just hand you all the pieces. We ask, God, that you put it together like never before. Lord, we prophesy amazing relationships. Over these next weeks, would you help us build them in Jesus' name? And God, for our singles, for our brothers and sisters who are single, first and foremost, we just, we just ask that over these coming days that this would be a fulfilling time where they actually find themselves drawn to the one, the only one that can ultimately satisfy them, Lord. We just ask in Jesus' name that they wouldn't feel as though they were lacking anything because they have you. And God, we just agree together with them over your destiny and your will for their lives. So Father, we surrender ourselves to you and we ask that you'd bring great strength and healing as we pursue you together in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen.